Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? It's Athea Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Uh, for starters, it is May 11th, which means it is my birthday. So happy birthday to me. I am 33 years old today, and I really couldn't think of a better way to celebrate my birthday than sharing this interview with you with a new friend of mine named Dan Peterson. Dan is a huge proponent of a concept in clinical psychology called the nurtured heart approach. And I first heard about this on a podcast probably about two or three years ago, really resonated with the message, thought, oh, that's pretty cool. But admittedly, it was kind of buried in the mix of a bunch of stuff I was learning at the time. So I didn't really dedicate a lot of time and attention to it. And when I got introduced to Dan and I saw that he was well-versed in this stuff, he's been certified and he uses it in his own coaching practice, I really want to get him on here. So today's episode really centers around parenting. If you are a parent or like me, you are a future parent, you know, you intend to be a parent one day, then this is going to give you a really, really different approach to parenting that has proven to be incredibly effective and by the way, is incredibly biblical. And so Dan kind of breaks down the nurtured heart approach for us today. And he talks a lot about how, you know, if you have a kid who's misbehaving, how often we misunderstand why they misbehave. And because we misunderstand why they misbehave, the solutions that we devise or the way we respond to their misbehavior is often inappropriate and ineffective. And so the nurtured heart approach really uh, shines a light, I would say, on, uh, on child behavior and how to really effectively improve child behavior in a way that still honors the connection between parent and child. And so for me, I learned a lot. And even though I don't have kids of my own, I just felt like, man, I could apply this in so many different areas of my life, in my business, in my marriage. Uh, There was a lot of applications. And I know that one day it's going to make me a better father as well. So I hope the same is true for you. Uh, If you're wondering, Cynthia, why do you care about interviewing people about parenting when you're not a parent? Because I know you guys are parents, and I know that if you're not a parent, you're probably like me and you want to be one one day. So let's get a head start on that, and we know that if we can raise better kids, we can make the world a better place. So without further ado, guys, here's my interview with Dan Peterson. So here's the million-dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives, and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts? all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Well, I'm here with Dan Peterson, a new friend of mine, and someone who has coined the nurtured heart approach something that I'm really excited to get into. But uh, just as a starting point, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. So you are really focused on helping parents uh, do, I would say, a, a better job than maybe some of the traditional methods or the traditional avenues that exist for parenting. Uh, maybe that would be a good starting point. Why are you so passionate about specifically working with parents? Um. Yeah, so let's kind of unpack my why. I'm 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 the oldest of of six boys. My parents got married when they were teenagers. Um, in fact, I think they got married because I was I was on the way. So they were, you know, um, pregnant, married right around eighteen and nineteen. And wow. my, my like my whole childhood. Well, let me back up. My parents had six boys by the time they were thirty one or thirty two. Whoa. Yeah, I had my first child when I was 32. 
<laughs> and um, <laughs> there was a lot of like maturing and, you know, personal development, education. And I got married, you know, I was married for seven years before we had kids. So I, I had a lot of good foundational tools and structures in place. My parents didn't have any of that. They kind of impulsively got married because I was on the way. At least that's, that's, that's kind of the story here. And my whole childhood, my mom was either pregnant or breastfeeding <laughs> and sleep deprived. <laughs> and my dad worked his own business. He was in carpentry and construction. So, um, you know, the, 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 there's kind of a twofold answer to this. One is I'm passionate about helping parents have the right set of tools so they can really, really enjoy parenthood. And that comes from a place of being equipped and being mature. And I also want to make sure that kids get what they need. And part of like the passion and heart that I have is some of that's from kind of just some of the challenges I had growing up. I didn't grow up in like a really terrible home. It's just, I, you know, I think my parents had to grow up really fast and didn't have a whole lot of time to mature and learn tools. And so they were in a very reactive, try to figure this out on the fly. And, you know, I'm just thinking if they would have gotten some real good coaching and had a little bit more time to kind of breathe and apply some of these things. Um, you know, some of the stuff that I needed that I probably didn't get when I was a kid would have happened. So that that's kind of like the why. The other part of that is um, I, I just, I love kids. Hmm. Um, I have a passion for kids. Like I relate to kids a lot better than I do adults. I enjoy being around <laughs> kids most of the time better than I do adults. So like seeing kids struggle or not fit in, like my heart kind of just breaks when I see that. And I, you know, I have some tools and I have some interventions that can really help those kids and serve them and love them. So that's, that's kind of what I do and why. That's amazing. It's amazing. We, I forget who we had on the podcast not too long ago, but we were, oh, it was a guy named Matt Bodro, And we were talking about how. I, just, I was just listening to his uh, podcast with you yesterday morning. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, amazing guy. And, um, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that you managed to be able to listen to it. We had an issue with the the audio there on my end, so I'm glad it came through okay. But um, the the one thing that we talked about there is how if you really ever want to see anything sy systemic change in a society or a culture, it has to be led by the kids, right? The youth. Yeah. They're the only way you can effectively bring change, which is why I think your work is so important. Can you? I think maybe we should just jump into the nurtured heart heart approach because I. I understand the gist of it. I'm really excited to just dig into the nuts and bolts a little bit more. Can you yeah. um, can you tell us a little bit about that um, just as a starting point? Yeah, so um, just um, for, for clarity, I did not develop this approach. I'm an, an advanced trainer. Sorry, my mistake, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure the credit goes to the person that created it. His name's Howard Glasser. He's a family therapist. He created this approach probably 40 years ago. Um, and I had been practicing in, in my field for probably close to 15 years before I ever even heard of it. Hmm. And um, most people haven't, which is really sad. <laughs> um, but, you know, people like me get the word out. And, and anyway, the, the whole foundation of this approach is kids are created for connection, deep connection, uh, connection with significant adults in their lives. And through that, that connection or that exchange of energy and relationship and attention, that's where they start to develop a concept of who they are, how to, how to form connections and relationships, how to attach, how to get their needs met emotionally, physically, psychologically. 
And a, a lot of times what happens is, especially kids that have challenges, is they learn that they get a lot of deep connection through problems. And so those problems become like the, you know, the highway to get deep connection, attention, and, and um, you know, to be on the radar of, of the people in their lives, especially their parents. So the, the whole foundation of this approach is really getting good at perceiving and, and being aware of how you're exchanging energy and connection with your child. And, and, and when I say energy, uh, you know, I'm not talking about like mystic energy or new age energy. I'm, I'm talking about anything you do that communicates, um, I'm paying attention to you. I'm in tune to you. Huh. Um, and, and what's really interesting about kids is that they're designed to know what your emotional state is before they ever learn language. And so kids know where your energy is at. They know where your emotions is at. They know where your, a lot of the kids I work with, they know what your blood pressure and your heart rate is. And they're more in tune to that than you are. <laughs> but, but again, the foundation of this approach is it, you, you have to realize that your energy and your connection is the gift. And you have to be very, very strategic and intentional about when you choose to exchange and connect energy with kids so that you're building them up on the inside and not inadvertently tearing them down on the inside by giving a lot of connection energy to problems. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, can you give some examples of maybe what it looks like when a parent is not managing their energy well and how that impacts the child versus when a parent is doing that well? Sure. So when, when a kid's misbehaving or being annoying or irritating or just struggling, Typically, what we'll do as parents is um, we'll remind them what they're doing wrong. We'll give a lecture. We give countdowns. We give warnings. Um, kind of my default system that that I have to be really, really careful is um, if you don't stop doing this, this consequence is going to happen. Or if you want that, you got to do this first. Anytime you connect, um, when a problem is having or misbehavior is happening, what you're inadvertently doing is is creating more drama. <laughs> But you're also saying, I see you, I notice you when you behave this way, and I deeply care about you when you behave this way. So keep it up. Huh. And when that, like your reaction right there, like, you know, you're you're kind of thinking, you're like, huh, that's exactly the, the response I had the first time this guy laid this out. And then it was followed with, oh, crap. What have I done? <laughs> because that's typically how we 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 parent or you know therapists and counselors. That's how we we um, are taught to intervene. You know, give kids countdowns, give them second chances. I don't know about you when you were in school, but kind of the strategy for classroom management was your name's on the board. There's a check, which is a consequence, and there's another check. Then there's another check. If you're really bad, they'll call home. And really, what's happening is you're getting a whole lot of um, connection and attention around problems. And, and so like the reason this is important is because kids generally don't learn very well in those type of exchanges. What they're learning is that you're frustrated with me or you're irritated with me. I'm not necessarily in trouble yet, but there's all this like unnecessary negative energy around the problem. And um, what happens is you're shooting yourself in the foot left and right. And you have no idea. So it sounds like the message that a parent communicates is like a, actually a small percentage of the words and a lot more to do with the fact that they're giving attention to something in the first place and then all the nonverbals that come with it am i hearing that correctly oh yeah yeah we the, the way that we exchange energy is partly our words 
but it's more, you know, probably 75% of the time, it's a lot more just the timing, our emotional state, our nonverbal language, and, um, you know, all the body cues we give off or social cues we go off. Yeah. So on the flip side, if um, if a parent were to handle, because I, I I imagine somebody could misconstrue this message. I'm sure this we have a smart audience. I'm sure they're not doing this, but they could hear this and be like, oh, so I guess when my kid messes up, I better just ignore it because I don't want to give it any attention lest it get reinforced the wrong way. Um, obviously, we know that's that's not right, but I'm I'm just being facetious. But what what does it look like to really manage this in a healthy way? Yeah. No. So that's not facetious. That's exactly what everybody's thinking right now, <laughs> just, just, because that 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 that's also part of the you know the the way that we've been trained is um, ignore negative behavior. You know, if you want your kid to stop, stop paying attention to it. Um, right. Well, that strategy alone is going to make things terribly worse. Um, you you have to have in in kind of the overview of nurtured heart approaches. There's three different stands. It's like a tripod. You have to have all three of these working in unison for the whole thing to stabilize. So if you just ignore negative behavior, that's maybe one one third of of the approach. But it's like a tripod. You pull a stand away, the whole thing's going to collapse. Okay. So instead of looking at this as you're ignoring negative behavior, um, kind of the mindset or the the paradigm shift is. I'm choosing to take a stand to not connect and engage in drama. I'm choosing to to lead by not participating in problems. I'm not ignoring what you're doing. I'm actually actively choosing to not engage. And I'm leading to say that when you behave this way, this isn't a healthy relationship dynamic. So I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to turn my back on you when you misbehave. I'm going to definitely, there's going to be discipline, but I'm not this unnecessary drama and like redirection, reminders, countdowns, lecturing your kid, raising your voice. All of that is the stuff that you need to abandon because it's not serving you in any way, shape, or form. Okay, so one of the tripods is maybe you do acknowledge it. Like it's not that they're getting the cold shoulder, but you're also not necessarily engaging with them at their level. Like I, that's probably not the right language, but uh, am I? Is that the gist of that that first tripod? Yeah, yeah. So, so well, let, let me give you the three stands, and then you know we'll, we'll kind of unpack each three of these. The, the first stand is no unnecessary energy connection around problems. I'm yeah. not saying no energy. It's the no unnecessary energy. And that's what we've been talking about so far. The lectures, warnings, raising your voice, second chance. Like, so, I, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask, why is that unnecessary? And and not that, um, not that I disagree, but I think it'd just be helpful for people to understand because even that 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 word could be very um, arbitrary, and I, I would love to get some clarity around that. Yeah, so he, here's why this is important. When when your kid's misbehaving, just see it as a, a ploy for connection, attention. If, if they're used to, um, like, ignoring you the first time you tell them to do something, like turn off the TV, and they don't. And then you, you raise your voice, you say it again, because now you're getting a little irritated because they're ignoring you. And they still don't do it. Then then you finally lose your patience and you yell or you go over there and you shut it off yourself and say, all right, no more TV the rest of the day. The way that a kid experiences that is the the prize, the adult, that that um, really important person in my life that gives me connection and energy that I'm looking for just lit up like a Christmas tree. And that is very enticing for me. 
So that's unnecessary. All the drama that you bring to the table. Instead, what you can do is say, turn off the TV. If they don't, then they lose that privilege for the day. You can just go straight to a consequence. All that middle ground of um, reminders, lectures, like starting to lose your patience, raising your voice. That's the unnecessary part. Because it's it's the, the only thing that it's doing is teaching the kid that you're frustrated with them. Right. And now it's more about you than it is about them learning. Okay. Right. Does that does that help clarify? Or does that make makes a perfect bit more sense. sense? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So no. So the first the first stand is no unnecessary energy for for is it was it disciplining you said? Yeah, for misbehavior. For, for misbehavior. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Right. So on the flip side of that, which is stand two, is you have to proactively, strategically, intentionally give a lot of good energy to the moments where things are going well. Okay. And this is where, you know, getting into neuroscience and the way our brain works is really, really helpful. Because okay. when things are going well, what our brain, the attentive part of our brain does is, is say, you don't need to attend to that because it's taken care of. <laughs> right. Right. So unless your kid does something out of the ordinary, that's really, really amazing or kind of above and beyond, you're probably going to miss 90% of the things that they're doing well. So, huh. so you have to take a stand to say, no, the type of father I want to be or the type of mother I want to be is one that builds my kid up and that, that connects to them and helps reveal to them their greatness. Yeah. You no. Know, so one of the, one of the, you know, the, the tools that I give parents or the ways that I have them get started is what are, what are the top five character qualities that are really important to you that you would love to see your kids have? Hmm. Um. And, you know, most of the parents would say uh, respect, kindness, being polite, being, you know, having some determination or dedication. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of the words, but, you know, let, let's start with respect. Respect is a super common one. Um, when, when I ask parents this for the first time, and I also go into schools and I do consulting for schools, so I do this with teachers and educators as well. Um. I ask them, what prompts you to have a conversation with your kid about respect? What do you think they say? When they're being disrespectful? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, how, and, and just so you know, kids are not open to your words of wisdom when you're disciplining them and you're teaching them. It's really important for you to be respectful. You're in trouble right now because you were disrespectful. Why were you disrespectful? What can you do differently? Like the only thing that's happening for kids is their defenses are going up because they're in trouble. Yeah. Right. So the time to talk about respect is when you have evidence of respectful behavior. Wow. Right. So, you know, for example, my kids this morning, every day they get up, they get ready for school, they make it to school on time. Right. Do I ever say anything about that? Well, before this approach, no, I just take that for granted, but I'd lose my mind if they were late. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, so like my strategy in the morning is, you know, my youngest, his name's Ben. I'm like, hey, Ben, you you got up on time. You didn't sleep in. You got dressed. You packed your lunch. You're taking really good care of yourself. You're being respectful to the rules. Um, you're, you're being super independent. You're being mature. Like, I'm just giving him my energy and connection by revealing to him with evidence. This is what you're doing. Here's what it shows. So I'm teaching him about him. In a way, in a time that he's the most receptive to hear it. Huh. And, and usually the, the, the kind of pushback I get or the resistance I get is parents will usually say, well, that's what they should be doing. 
why do I have to comment on that? Or why do I have to compliment that? That's just kind of patronized. And my comeback to that is, well, if they're disrespectful and not doing it, what do you do? Well, I show up and I talk to them and I let them have it. And then I get all bent out of shape. And how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that I uh, really helpful. And it's funny. Um, my wife and I listened to a podcast. This is probably like a year ago. And they were talking about the nurtured heart approach. And um, it was in the context of parenting. But when my wife and I were really talking about it afterwards, we don't have kids yet. But we were just talking about even in our own marriage and realizing yeah. that even the energy we're bringing there and often the things that really get a lot of our energy seem to be just the corrective elements. Um, and I know for me, I'm certainly guilty of having that mentality of like, oh, she doesn't need to be commended for doing that. She should be doing that, you know, and, and that kind of thinking. So, uh, again, don't have kids yet, but I, I definitely can see the value of, of what you're saying here. So. First stand, no unnecessary energy for misbehaving. Second is provide good energy when things are going well to you know encourage those behaviors you want in them. Um, what's the third stand? Absolutely crystal clear with where the line is. And okay. if it's crossed, you're holding your kids accountable. The, the discipline model through this approach is everybody makes mistakes. Mistakes are learning opportunities. When you break rules or make mistakes, I'm not going to get bent out of shape. What I'm going to do is hold you accountable because I trust that you have what it takes. That's kind of the mindset. So practically what that looks like is if you break a rule, I'm just gonna give you a consequence or I'm gonna hold you accountable. And it provides you the opportunity to develop skills, to get more practice. And, and what I'm looking for is not for you to learn the lesson and you know be shamed into feeling bad about who you are because you made a mistake. What I'm more interested in is looking at how do you take ownership? How do you recover from that? How do you take accountability? And I'm going to give a lot of energy into that part of it because that's okay. the growth and maturity that's happening instead of the mistake. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, going back to the example before, so um, or while we were talking about the example of even when uh, a kid is respectful versus disrespectful. So no unnecessary energy for misbehaving means that when they are disrespectful, um, you're not you're not making a bigger deal of it than it needs to be. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, you're conscious that when they are respectful, you're affirming that, you're encouraging that, and you're not just doing it monotonously. You're actually bringing energy to that, so they see the value of it. Um, what what is what does it look like when you get to this clarity part? So you're trying to provide clarity. Uh, I'm running with the example here of like what's appropriate, what's respectful behavior, what isn't. And then I guess, uh, what would be an example of holding them accountable if they do cross it? Okay, so let, let me, let me um, answer that by taking one step back real quick. Because the mindset is really important, that you're looking at this from the right lens, otherwise this can sound counterproductive. Okay. So the analogy I like to use is, when it comes to parenting, it's very similar to how a referee officiates a basketball game. So if a player is dribbling the ball and they step out of bounds, let's just say their toe's out of bounds, you know, the toe is on the line. Um, the ref doesn't say, um, you know what, you got ADHD, or you don't really have as much talent as everybody else. I'm going to put you on a special program. I'm just giving you a warning. <laughs> you know, the ref just blows the whistle and says, turnover. I don't care if your foot's on the line or you're 20 feet out of bounds, you've crossed the line or the boundary. 
Huh. My job is not to chase you down the court and say, look out, look out. You're about ready to step out of bounds. If you step out of bounds, it's a turnover. Or that's the 10th time you stepped out of bounds. I can't believe it. Get out of the game. Like the referee has no emotional investment, whether the player is in and out, because that's not their responsibility. Hmm. So when it comes to parenting, it's really important that you stay in your lane and realize my job is to allow my kids space and freedom to make the choice. My job is to show them the pros and cons, not try to motivate, manipulate, or influence one way or the other. Huh. Okay. And, and what happens when you stay in that lane is, is that your kids take more ownership for their decisions rather than get stuck in trying to manipulate the situation. Right. Could you imagine if a ref chased a player down the court? Was like shame, like warning them what will happen or shame them for, for the mistakes. It's like, no, mastery of dribbling the ball, staying inbounds, looking up the court, being able to pass and, and know where the boundaries are. That is a skill that needs to be exercised and developed. And right. the only way that happens is if the ref blows a whistle every time you violate it. Right, right. It, and, and and I know you, like you, you have a strong Christian biblical background. This is really, um, I think, foundational for kids. In in just from a like a Christian perspective, is um, I love you. That's why I'm going to hold you accountable. Yeah. Right. Not I'm frustrated with you and I'm irritated by you, and now you need to pay. That's a lot of the times the way that we show up as parents when we discipline is. I'm frustrated and irritated. That's why I'm raising my voice. So that's why I've said this 10 times. And now I can't manage my own frustration. So now I'm giving you consequence. There's no learning that happens in that except the parents upset. Right. So, okay, this is a great segue because I think um, I think this will tie things together a bit. It sounds to me like to really pull this off, to to implement some of the principles you're talking about, and really step into that kind of this kind of parenting that you're casting vision for the parent really is the one who has to do the work here and um, you and i both know like no one's going to listen to this podcast and suddenly execute these three stands and no one's going to execute these three stands just because they study it really well or they listen again and again there's clearly some character development and some identity formation that needs to take place here before a parent could actually execute on these i, I would have to imagine um, talk, talk to us a little bit about that side of it, Dan, when, when somebody's hearing this and they're saying, oh my gosh, I, I hear you. I, I know that I'm falling short and this sounds like this could be an avenue for me to explore. What changes does a parent need to undergo to really walk in this effectively? Um, yeah, so I, I, I have a few different thoughts here. Um, the first of all, when, when parents contact me for the first time, it's my kids acting out, they need treatment. <laughs> but what they're saying is this is the path that our society and culture has told me is the right path to take, hmm. right? There's something wrong with your kid. Your kid's misbehaving, need to send them to an expert. And sometimes that's the case. If it's really something that's out of a kid's control. Sure. They, they really, there's something else going on. They need like professional help. But I would say a vast majority of the time, and I've been doing this for 25 years, you know, I've worked with the most challenging kids on the planet. The, the, the most, um, not the most, but overwhelming majority of the time, this is not a kid issue. 
this is a parent lacking a skill set issue. And, and so when I talk to the parents, and I'm like, I have an alternative for you. Instead of putting your kids in the hands of a professional for one hour a week or putting your kid on medicine, what would it feel like if you made some changes and you got the results you wanted and your relationship with your, your child was strengthened as a result? And, it, and it's like like the veil comes off their eyes, so to speak. And they're like, that's what I'm looking for. I cannot stand feeling helpless. Like when you're parenting a difficult child and the tools you have are not working, that is a very, very dangerous and stressful place to be as a parent because you're in a position of authority. It is your responsibility to raise this child and you're failing miserably. Huh. So, so when you're helpless, you're failing, you're stressed, you're starting not to like your kid. And, and the message is, go put them on medicine or go, like it becomes the other person's problem and responsibility. You're still helpless. You're still ill-equipped. It's not solving the problems, putting a Band-Aid on it. Huh, okay. And, and so there's this huge sigh of relief when parents like, that's exactly what I've been looking for, but I've never thought of it that way. Nobody's ever said that's the route to take. And now yeah. they immediately shift to a position of power because they're focusing on them and what they can do differently. And as a result, their kid improves. Right. Like it's super healing for families. Well, because it is a powerless place to be when you have a misbehaving kid and you think it's the kid's problem, right? Because you can't, you, I mean, you, obviously you can influence the kid, but you're not as, you're not in as much control as when you realize that the ball's in your court. Once, once a parent realizes that, so they, they feel like, you know, they're empowered, they have some ownership in the matter. What are some of the next steps for them? And I, I guess I'm wondering, like, from the mindset part, the character development, like, um, I can just only imagine the level of patience that would be required to, to do something like this and do it well. What are some of those qualities that parents have to build to really execute well? Um, I can teach them tools. This isn't an intellect thing. The yeah. number one indicator of whether or not parents get better and really exceptional at implementing this approach is if they have some humility and self-awareness. Wow. They have yeah. to be willing to ask for help and say, I don't know what to do. Please teach me. Huh. Um, the self-awareness piece is here's how I'm showing up and exchanging energy. And in most of the time, parents don't even know that they're making things worse. So when they're willing to look at themselves and say, oh, here's what I'm doing. Here's why this is backfiring. Then again, it's it's really simple. Now you have that awareness. We'll just do this instead. It's very hard to come to those realizations if you don't have any awareness or you don't have somebody objectively looking at things and helping you see things clearly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So humility and self-awareness and um when you're when you're working with somebody how long does it take before parents really feel like they're gaining traction and actually making making a difference in how they're parenting yeah so the the i have a coaching program that i lead parents through and it's a 90-day intensive to really learn and master these three stands but also implement it in a way that's um, genuine and authentic for their family Okay. This isn't like a computer program where every time this happens, you're, every time X happens, you're going to do Y. This is, you know, kind of a, a rough parameters with the three stands, but how you implement it is going to be based on your personality, the vision you have for your family, what what your goals are. 
So there's a lot of ways to customize this, but over a 90 day period, it takes to really learn and master this. With, with that being said, um, within four or five sessions, usually within the first month, you're going to see a pretty dramatic energy shift in the home and you're going to start to see an improvement. Not because the kid's on meds or the kid's learned anything different in a session, but because the way you're showing up and the environment you're creating is enticing towards that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's cool that you mentioned self-awareness because this is where like I see a lot of overlap in in our messages, even though I, I understand there's, um, you know, there's clear lines between them. But we have three pillars for people going through the recovery process. And the first pillar is self-awareness. Uh, and we, we kind of have this mantra, which is that if you are not aware, it cannot be repaired. And yeah. that idea that there's a lot of underlying causes that our guys have that are going on in the way they process their feelings, the way they're managing their thinking and their thoughts and their belief systems that are probably driving a lot of their behavior. They just don't even realize it. And so we help them kind of shine a light on those areas and, and make some corrections. On, on your side of it, when you're helping a parent increase in their self-awareness, what exactly does that entail for you? Yeah, so um, some of it's psychoeducation, you know, being able to learn new things, you open up kind of some openness to looking at things differently, having a different set of tools and realizing um, that maybe the way I'm operating isn't <laughs> the tools I have and the way I'm operating probably aren't the right set of tools for this specific job. So mm -hmm. psychoeducation and tool building is a big piece of it. The other part is helping them understand that you're coming from a place of compassion and love. That's why it bothers you so much. And the way that your brain's desired or designed is that when you get stressed, or when you're concerned and worried, your brain says, go attend, go, um, go fix the problem or go fight or flight, go either put the fire out, fix the problem, get the kid to stop misbehaving, or just avoid it and, you know, bury your head in the sand and just allow your kid to get away with everything. Right. So when they start to learn about neuroscience and they learn about like stress response, and then they start to learn about here's the way I was raised and here's why I'm starting to react this way. And it's such an emotional trigger for me. That's the self-awareness piece that provides a huge amount of progress for them. Yeah. Because so like, like you're saying, like, it's very hard to make change if you don't have awareness of why you're behaving that way. It's the default system. It's old yeah. wiring. Yeah. I, I, I totally see that. And um, this is a great, a great time to what we do, because I think a lot of a lot of people my, I would loop myself into this, even though I'm not a parent. But when uh, you know, you have a guy struggling with sexual misbehavior, some kind of addiction, in the back of their head, when they start having kids, their big thing is like, I don't want my kid to have the addiction, I don't want them to have the same issues that I had or have the same struggles. And sometimes that zeal is actually a problem. Because they end up overreacting to like, oh, that was the start of it for me. And you kind of, it becomes this like triggering thing. So I, I totally see what you're saying. And if you don't mind, it's just getting a little bit more granular with kind of the yeah. time for the scope of this podcast. What, what could a parent do if they're identifying, oh yeah, that when, when my kid does that, you know, it's, it's triggering for me. It's reminding me of, you know, myself when I was young or whatever, and I don't want them to do that. Um, this, there's this one phrase in um, Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that I've always, I, I cannot forget it. Um, and he just talks about creating space between stimulus and response. 
<laughs> and that's something that we talk about with, you know, trigger management and all that kind of stuff. What, how do you guide parents to creating that gap between stimulus and the response afterwards? Yeah, for, first of all, the reason I'm kind of laughing about that is I, I'm a member of the Dead Edge. So, oh, okay. Um, and that's like what we've been working on forever. Like that's a common theme that comes up in our weekly calls is like, how do you create that space between stimulus and response? Oh, cool. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I actually, I didn't even know that came from Stephen Covey. I thought that it came from um, somewhere else, but I'm not, in, in, anyway, it, it is super important that you do create some space, right? And, and what I have found is that, um, the, the, the place to start with that is, again, the self-awareness, like helping parents realize that the reason this bothers me so much usually comes from two places. One, it's it's childhood pain that's probably in your subconscious or you've buried it somewhere. And, and it, again, like I, it, it takes a while to kind of help parents. So there's a lot of questions I ask them about, like, what does this remind you of? Do you remember a time when you were a kid where you felt this way? You know, usually when you're a caring, compassionate parent and you've decided to be a parent, you've already made some agreements that this is how I will do things. This is how I will not. Tell me yeah. more about that. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. My dad used to scream and yell. So every time my kid yells, like I start to go back into that place of like overwhelmed with stress because it's not safe. Hmm. Well, this is an eight-year-old or this is a five-year-old. This is not a 42-year-old man, right? right? Are you really in danger? No, I'm not. You're in control. So like help him break that down. I think the other part too is when I have parents start to list off those values or those character traits, number one, what's going to happen is when you see your kids start to demonstrate those qualities, you, you're going to have some, some joy, some pride, some excitement that starts to emerge because your, your kids are behaving in a way that's congruent with the value system that you, you abide by. Right. But the opposite is true. Anytime they violate that, that is a trigger for you. So if respect is really important to you, every time your kid is disrespectful, your your stress response gets activated. The same stress response that will happen if a fire alarm goes off. Right. And, and so what are you going to do when that check engine light or that trigger goes off? Okay, I can take some deep breaths. I can go in the other room. Sometimes for parents, it's just, I have awareness of that. So now I have the freedom to choose. Hmm. Um, for me, um, what, what happens is anytime my boys whine, I can feel the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Huh. Um, I have a physiological stress response to the, to the whining only from my boys. And the reason that is, is I grew up in a family where I had a tremendous amount of responsibility. You had to get groceries, they fold clothes, pack lunches, mow the lawn, take care of the kids, change diapers. You know, and, and so for me, whenever my kids complain about just minor things, it it just it, in my brain it gets translated as you ungrateful. <laughs> it, um, you have no idea like what it could be like. Like, and it's really me just reacting to frustration that's still kind of rooted in like, you know, pain that I had as a kid. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've I've heard of um, some parents will give themselves timeouts, quote unquote, not as a punishment thing, but they just know they they need the separation a little bit to to cool down. Is is that mm -hmm. is that the appropriate response, Dan? Once they have some awareness of like, okay, yeah, the hair goes up on my spine, 
that's when I know I'm having that that response, and now I need to you know change my environment, separate, um, mm-hmm. ask for a minute, or or what what are things that parents should actually be doing to larger yeah. that gap? So, so there there's hundreds of things you can do, right? Um, for me, the the times that I need to go somewhere else is when I'm overwhelmed and I'm overstimulated. So, you know, if you think about being stimulated, it's through the senses. Like, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you touch? What do you taste? Right? So if I'm starting to get overstimulated because my kids are getting loud or there's too much noise and now I'm starting, my blood pressure is going up. What I'll say is I use this code word. It's called reset. I'll say it to my kids or I'll say it to myself. It's like, I need a reset. I'm getting frustrated. I need to go to my room. I need to go for a walk. Other times where it's kind of a low-level frustration, I'll just say, I, I'm getting frustrated. I'm starting to yell. I need to reset. And me just saying that out loud, like, gets me back in the right right kind of frame wow. of mind. Okay. Um, could be deep breathing. Could be going for a walk. Could be getting spaced. Um, could be counting back, you know, from 10 to 1 instead of 1 to 10. Right. Um, you know, wh- whatever works for you. <laughs> Um, the, the, again, there's no magic. What, what's really interesting too about this work is it creates a lot of um, attention to what's happening in the present moment. So it really enhances mindfulness. So I'm really looking for my kids for evidence of when they're managing you know, their nervous system or they're managing their emotional state. And so a lot of times what happens, especially with my, my youngest, he's kind of a highly anxious kid. When he starts to get like worked up and anxious, I'll start to hear him sighing. They'll be like, hey. huh. I'll be like, hey, I noticed that you're trying to calm yourself down. You're taking some deep breaths. You're doing what your body needs. It needs more oxygen. Deep breathing calms down. And I just saw you do that. Did you even know you did that? He's like, no, I didn't know. I wasn't deep breathing. I was sighing. That's what sighing <laughs> is. <laughs> so let's do that five or six more times. And so when wow. I create awareness that he's regulating himself, and he had no idea he's doing it. Now he has the power to choose that moving forward. That's cool. Yeah, I love that. So, okay, I wanna, I wanna kind of, uh, I guess, circle back and and tie this all together a little bit. So, I know that you're really passionate about bridging the gap between home and school, and obviously, uh, you, it's. I mean, it's very obvious to see how your work would do that between the work you do with parents and the work that you're you're doing with kids and the way that you're able to, you know connect with them and relate with them. One thing that I've um, I've kind of picked up in our conversation and even just in some of my research before is that there's a lot of diagnoses that get thrown out for kids. You know, a kid doesn't pay attention in school. They have ADHD. I used to do uh, volunteer work with children with autism. And some of the, the leaders of that organization explained to me that autism has become a huge money grab for parents because once their kid gets diagnosed with it, then they get more funding from the government and it's this whole thing. And so they said sometimes things aren't always the way they appear. I don't know exactly where you land on all that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, do you believe that kids are overdiagnosed and that there's maybe some insidious agendas with the pharmaceutical companies and stuff like that? <laughs> um, or, you know, are, are we just more problem now because of all the stimulation and the development of technology? Like, how do you make sense of what's going on in our world currently with kids? Um, are, are you familiar with the DSM-5? That Very, book or yeah. That manual? Okay. Yeah. So when that, that, for, that book came out, um, geez, probably about eight years ago now. Yeah, 2013, I think, yeah. 
geez, 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, all of us that were in the mental health field that had clinical license, we had to go receive some training in it. And and just kind of the changes and adaptations. At that time, what they what they found out is that 75% of the time somebody, kid or adult, is diagnosed with ADHD, it's a false positive. Wow. 75%? And 75% of the time. What what it means is they, they have symptoms that kind of fall into that category, but it's not because it's a under-stimulated brain or a nervous system. It's because of the environment, there's something else going on. And trauma is a huge thing that's leading to symptoms and pathology, but it doesn't lead to a specific diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we treat kids that have ADHD, but they're actually highly anxious because they live in a traumatic environment. And you put kids on stimulants that are anxious, and what you're doing is you're creating a, you know, um, a monster. Because <laughs> when you're highly anxious, and then you get your nervous system's already dysregulated, then you put a, put them on a stimulant. Now they start to become aggressive and agitated and angry. Now they can't right. sleep well. Then they get put on meds to help them sleep. <laughs> right. Right. So, so I, you know, my my stance on things, and the reason I'm so like invested in the nurtured heart approach is because if you implement this approach with integrity, you get really, really clear on what misbehavior is just energy connection seeking behavior that is within their control. That once you get these three stands in place, the bad behavior goes away. Hmm. Whatever behavior you still have left over is generally a sign that this is not um, non-compliance misbehavior. It's incompetence, meaning they can't. And there might be something else going on. And so as a parent, if you're going to go, you know, get your kid a neuropsychological eval, you're going to be considering medication or you're going to consider treatment. Wouldn't you want to know that this is out of their control versus in their control? Right. So you get a much clearer picture of something that might be going on clinically if you implement this approach first. Okay. So with that being said, when I hear a kid has a diagnosis of ADHD or oppositional defiance disorder or autism um, spectrum disorder, which is a huge spectrum, by the way, too. Um, usually when people hear spectrum they ha- or autism, they have a picture in their head based on something they saw in the media, not true autism. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I almost just ignore that diagnosis because if you haven't done work first, like from a parenting perspective and from an educator's perspective, what, what you're doing is you're dealing with guesswork. You're throwing darts at the board. Yeah. And I guess there's also the damage of like, you've now slapped a label, like, and as you're saying, a label that can come with connotations that if you, if the false positive rate is that high, then in many cases, they're not even accurate. You know, someone hears they have ADHD, they think they have all these things because of the diagnosis, even though they don't. Um, so that's, that's very interesting to me. So I, it sounds like what you're suggesting is parents really focus on the things they can control, which is the connection, the energy, the things that are in the home environment, how they're relating with the kid. And if they were to effectively apply the nurtured heart approach, as an example, they would basically eliminate any, any, or at least they would reduce dramatically most of the issues that are in those categories of connection, energy, and whatever else. Mm -hmm. And then if you still have something, then it's no longer maybe a compliance issue. It could actually be a matter of competency. Is that, am I hearing that right? 
Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, I just kind of going into diagnosis and labels, um, the, the way I kind of look at things is this is not a kid with ADHD or bipolar or oppositional. This is a kid with intensity. This is a kid that has an excessive need for energy. They're just wired a bit differently. And, and, and so if we can teach them how, teach them how to self-regulate, how to have self-control and self-awareness, they get the credit for learning how to manage that. That intensity and energy is their life force. Yeah. That's their gift. It's not pathology. Yeah. No, the last thing I want to do is put a kid or recommend a kid get put on a medicine to sedate them. Right. You know, and our culture is real. like the mental health field is really diff like doing a, a disservice because what happens is when kids start to connect that my misbehavior is something I can't control and you as the powerful adults don't know what to do. And the only hope I have is to be on a medicine. If I start to improve, who gets the credit? It's not me. It's the meds. Right. I can't tell you when I used to work in therapeutic schools. Like all the buses would show up, the kids would get off the bus, you know, they'd walk in, we'd greet them all the time. And I, I cannot tell you hundreds of times I've heard this. Kids would say, hey, Mr. Dan, I forgot my meds this morning, which was code for you can't hold me accountable because <laughs> I didn't have my meds because my meds is the only thing that controls me. Right. Or when kids are misbehaving in class, what the teachers will do, they'll call home and say, hey, did the kid take the meds today? You know, it's like the, you you can't control yourself. We don't know what to do. It must be a medication issue. And now there's this huge push to put these kids on meds that don't need it. What's needed is the adults need a different set of tools. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I think what you're doing is so valuable. Because like I said at the beginning, I think if we really want to see systemic changes with, you know, the youth in our society, obviously what we talk about a lot here on the podcast are sexual issues and sexual misbehavior like this is this is where it starts i mean goodness like kids that that misbehave sexually it almost always points back to a lack of attention at home a lack of care lack of connection all of the things that you're you're addressing here so this has been amazing thank thank you so much dan and um and just the way you've broken this down very very easy to understand if people want to find out more about what you do more about the nurtured heart approach what's the best way for them to do that yeah, so two two things. Go to my website. It's thecompassforlife.com. That's number four. Okay. Um, and there's two pages. My homepage, you can sign up to be on my e-newsletter list. Um, I also have like a free ebook that you'll get. It's called 20 Things You Need to Know If You're Considering Counseling or Medicine for Kids. Oh, huh. interesting. Okay. And cool. it's like the top 20 questions parents ask me if they're struggling to raise their kid and they're wondering what route to take. Okay. Um, the other thing is I just have a contact page. If you want to learn more about my coaching program, just contact me through my contact page. I'll actually reach out to you directly. We'll set up a free phone call and decide like what the next steps will be. And if, you know, maybe I'd be a good fit to help you get to where you want to be. That sounds awesome. Dan, thanks for the work you're doing, man. And thanks for your time today. Yeah, no problem. It's been an honor. Well, I'm so grateful for Dan and just the really simple way he was able to break down Nurtured Heart Approach. I will say, I mean, I've done a little bit of a deep dive on this stuff. We really scratched the surface today. So if you feel like there's something here and you resonate with the message and you want to learn more and maybe you want to consider applying this, 
go check out Dan's links. Um, it, I mean, this stuff is woven through everything he does. And um, he clearly is very effective in it. And I would say the other thing is to uh, make sure that you share this. If you know other parents who maybe are struggling with their kids' behavior or maybe um, you know someone who wants to be a parent soon, share this episode with them. Um, you just don't, you don't know how this content could change somebody's life forever and you could play a role in that. And the last thing I'll say, guys, is if you're hearing this and maybe it just helped you realize that you need to quit pornography because it's going to make you a better father. You don't want to pass this down to your kids. Maybe you realize that your porn addiction is actually fueling a lot of these toxic behaviors in yourself as a parent. Well, now is the time for you to get free. And the easiest way for you to do that is to book a call with our team. We set aside time slots every single week to speak with listeners of this podcast. And I would hate for you to miss out on an opportunity because you didn't get asked to. So here it is. The link is in the show notes. Just click book a call with Sathya's team and you'll get a chance to pick a time slot that works for you. And there's no pressure on this call. We do talk about our program if we feel like it's a good fit. I'll just give you a heads up. But that happens later on after we get to know your story. And if we get to know your story and we feel like we can help you, then we could talk about solutions. And if it doesn't look like we can help you, then that'll be the end of the call. No hard feelings. So if you're really serious about recovery, this is not for like dabblers or people who are just like, you know, trying to feel things out. This is for people who are serious. You're ready to make a move and you just want to see which move that's going to be. I'd love for you to book a time in the calendar, okay? In the meantime, guys, I'm cheering you on. I wish you an incredible day. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast, and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.